Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey, guys. I'm your host, Ryan Key. Nick Ganbarian is dead, fell off a cliff, died on impact. That didn't really happen. He's actually out to dinner with his significant other. He just texted us. But he's not, like, cheating or skipping out. We're sad. We miss you, Nick. We're super emo about it. For those of you that don't know, Nick is the... Uh, is a co-owner, partner, whatever the correct word is, in a coffee company called Legal Speed Coffee. Delicious bean water. And he's working his uh, tushy off. Thank filling the orders. coffee maker special brew coming soon. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's filling orders like crazy. So he's unable to join today because we are up against the wire to get this episode out because we are all surprisingly slammed via still quarantine casting. We just got a lot going on. Ryan Key's slammed by coastal weather as well. That's an issue. Man, yeah, that's true. The The weather here in the great state of Florida has not helped our podcasting this week. Um, I've had two modems fry in lightning storms. My parents' neighbor actually is like a home theater tech guy, and he's like, oh, man, this is what you got to use, you know? So I had to spend too much money on this certain surge protector that doesn't put any noise in your coaxial line because if you didn't know this my modems were not frying from like the a power surge through like the plug they were frying from the actual cable like the coaxial cable coming in through the wall I, I have a bunch of cable in the yard like that i dug trenches with my dad and buried myself it was pretty gnarly actually but if lightning hits anywhere close it'll it'll travel down that line and it's burned up two modems but anyways i have the proper equipment now so Dude, the thought of lightning striking the ground somewhere and electricity just traveling through like the water-soaked soil yeah. is terrifying. I know. Holy shit. The first time it happened, it was a really bad storm, and I was just kind of in the living room, at kitchen table or whatever. The power was kind of going in and out, so we were just sitting there, and the modem itself, like I knew something was wrong because it made a popping sound back here in the studio. Like I could, hear, I could hear it, and I was like, that's not normal. And then I went back, and it just wouldn't even power on. So, But I have it sorted now, so we're good to go. You know, you're the champion here. We're recording at 11.15 Eastern, basically like 24 hours before release. So We are the champions. You're the champion. You're the champion editor that does all the work. So I'll do my best. Everyone give Adam some love on, on the line for all the work he does. Give us some love on Patreon. That would be good too. It would really be good for Adam because like I just said, he does all the work. Well, let's work on filling some plot holes right now. Yeah, let's do it. As I'm sure you know from reading the title of this podcast... This is about, in some ways, filling plot holes in The Rise of Skywalker, things that were not mentioned in the movie, but were in the novelization or elsewhere, and then also just kind of filling in deeper character stuff. I don't think a lot of it's plot holes, I'm going to be honest. We clickbaited you a little bit, but there's some really, really <laughs> cool stuff that I think expands. There's some answers. Yeah. There's, it's a lot of answers. I mean, the novel, and I guess we should get it out there, you have done the whole book on audiobook. I've done half. But I don't know that that's, it's like, I can't say that I'm not qualified to talk about it because for the purpose of this podcast, the research is out there to be done for like what we were looking for to do this. And if you're like me and you're someone who's very busy, I love Star Wars, but I'm, I'm really busy. So reading a book about a movie that I've already seen can't be at the top <laughs> of the list of things I'm doing right now. But there are a lot of really cool nuggets in the book that were deliberately put there to answer questions that were not in the film. And I don't, Adam, you may know, I don't know, but do you think they work in partnership with JJ and the, and the writers on this to say, hey, what were you thinking here? Let's put that in the book. Or do you think someone just retcons on their own when writing the book? I would assume at this point, it's all a partnership 
through the filter of the story group. Yeah. With everything we've learned through having our amazing guests on the show that are so directly connected to the Star Wars universe so far, the buck stops at Lucasfilm still and you have to go through that story group. So I would imagine that all these things listed were either created with, you know, JJ and Chris Terrio brought it in and said, hey, this is what's going on with Peepaw Sheev's clone and this is what's going on with Finn and the Force. Here's more about Ray's lineage or whatever it was. And it kind of made its way into the book or Ray Carson, the author of the novel, retconned more of this on his in his head and got it approved but either way there's a lot of really cool stuff in the book that i think pretty dramatically expands on many of the questions because i will say that while i am on record loving the rise of skywalker i've watched it yesterday getting ready for this i kind of had it on in the background because i was doing a bunch of other stuff but i just had it on and i kind of would stop and watch a scene here and there and i freaking love the movie But I do think that it suffers, as we've talked about, from a little bit of that kind of tragic sort of Game of Thrones issue of like trying to how do you possibly wrap it up? How do you how do you end all of these character stories at the exact same time and answer every single question in this giant sweeping saga? And I think some of these sagas run into that at the end when they're like, "Uh, oh, shit, (laughs) we have to be done. It has to be over. So I think the novel really opens up the door to answering a lot of those questions. I mean, I would have taken a three-hour movie, but, you know, this will do. Uh, dude, I think we said this when we did the episode about The Rise of Skywalker, but um, a two-part, like, Deathly Hallows style would have been so legendary. Yeah. They would have made a lot more money. I don't know why they didn't do that. <laughs> I think it was—I remember hearing that it was more about honoring George Lucas's original vision for nine, nine films, films yeah. Well, anything. yeah, but Harry Potter was still only seven. It was part seven— True. Part one and two of chapter seven or whatever. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. A certain point of view. Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. So the very first thing we see on screen in the crawl post a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is the dead speak talking about Palpatine and this mysterious message that was heard galaxy wide. We don't actually hear what the message was, though. We know its contents essentially said, hey, it's me, Palpatine. I'm back. The Sith are about to whoop your ass. But we don't know exactly what was said. I say we don't know because we didn't play Fortnite. (laughs) I did not play Fortnite. I still don't play Fortnite. But a lot of people may not know this. Yeah, I, I actually found out today. I knew that there was a thing in Fortnite. So they did an event, I guess, a few weeks, couple weeks before the movie came out, where they did this fully Star Wars themed thing. They broadcasted in Fortnite. They had a Millennium Falcon kind of dogfight happening overhead with TIE fighters and all kinds of crazy shit. Full soundtrack and everything. Pretty sweet. I watched it today. Once the thing landed, the Falcon right in the middle, J.J. Abrams walks out and a host named Jeff Cayley. They're in their sort of like their skins, their virtual kind of things. This dude was looking kind of like a hologram. J.J. Abrams actually walked out as J.J. Abrams rendered in Fortnite. And then... John Ralphio. To me, he's just John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. Yesterday, if you would have asked me, I would have said no, but thank God my grandfather just died, so I am a flash cash. <laughs> Who did some voicing on BB-8. He came out as a stormtrooper and they hosted this little thing, showed a clip, gave everybody access to lightsabers. There's this big, messy lightsaber fight. Millions of people, I'm sure, around the world. And then, in sort of a God voice over the entire Fortnite world, they heard the words of Palpatine. At last, the work of generations is complete. The great 
error is corrected. The day of victory is at hand. The day of revenge. The day of the Sith. I wonder if they recorded the message for the film and it didn't make, you know, it got left on the floor. I wonder. Like if it worked, it would have been in a scene somewhere. What I don't know. I mean, that's like my biggest gripe with the film was Poe's delivery of we don't know. Yeah. You know, like that's it, <laughs> you know. Right. But I'm satisfied with the idea that this message was out there. And the more you go down and read into this, the stuff that's in the novel, it talks a lot more about the Sith, the Force Dyad and all that kind of stuff and, and how it's just been planned the whole time. This was this was the master plan. There's something very lost between seasons vibe about doing this in Fortnite. I don't know if anyone who watched Lost remembers what was it called? It was like a, almost like a game messages like on billboards and on the side of trucks and everything all around the world. And they had to be collected by people. This is kind of a version of that, but just fully modernized. It's in a virtual world rather than out there in the physical world. Pretty sweet. It gives you the message in the book as well. So Fortnite wasn't the only way that people's message was delivered. It Obviously, millions of people play Fortnite, but the important thing here is if you're reading the book, you get to say, oh, that's what he was saying. You know, yeah, so the, if you have pubes and you don't play Fortnite, you need to find out somewhere else. <laughs> Ray Carson wrote it down for you. All right, how about that opening scene? Yeah, man, we talked about this in the Rise of Skywalker episode, how it truly was kind of a unique thing for Star Wars, starting in slow motion like that right out of the gate with right. Kylo on this mystery planet that we learn later is Mustafar. But we don't learn that in the film. Right. This was a huge point in the book that is, I think if you're a casual enough fan that knows what Mustafar is and you're reading the book, you're like, whoa, when you find that out, you know, I think we kind of thought when watching the film, that this is like lava planet, mm -hmm. Sith planet. But I, I don't think I would have known. I didn't have like a gut instinct that it was Mustafar. Right. But so, yeah, they talk about in the book, they get really into some cool stuff. And I think one, the coolest thing is, is the second point here. The first one, they just, they talk about the cultists that are guarding the ones that Kylo is kind of mowing down in that scene. They're Vader- loyalists that they worship vader they're there to protect the temple and all of the the monuments and remnants of lord vader that's their whole thing and and they actually refer to them as cultists that's so sweet They've, they they made like a pilgrimage there to mustafar to defend the ruins of the castle from any outsiders which is just so rad but here's something that's so rad and it ties in and was pulled from i would assume the trevara script in the book, after Ren slaughters all the cultists, he, he meets with this creature that they call the Eye of the Webbish Bog. <laughs> and if you remember, when we broke down the Colin Trevorrow script, we talked about how there was this whole thing with, with Ren like completing his training with this weird spidery monster thing in a swamp. And that's exactly what is happening here. Mm -hmm. It's almost, it's like a legend of Zelda level yeah. where it's, he, he's like the boss at the <laughs> end. If, if you get through slaying all the cultists, he's at the end of the level and, you know, gives you the, the password to, to get through and get the wayfinder. So the eye tells Ren where the wayfinder is. And that it's in the book, it, it tells him that he's passed Vader's test by defeating the guardians of the, of the eye. Yeah. Yeah. That's rad. And I, I think, it's a that's a cool i mean how do we know but i think that's a really cool nod to the trevara script if that's what it is because i we had a lot of fun breaking down that colin trevara script and and talking specifically about this weird spider 
thing, and it, and it it describes the eye of the webbish bog as a spidery looking alien thing in the book. So nasty bastard. And it uh, also notes, uh, I, I found it, it, it's noted that some version of the eye of the webbish bog scene was actually filmed. So everybody wants to see the JJ cut. So if that ever happens, we may get to see the old webbish bog. <laughs> That's a hilarious name to me. I don't know why it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm cha- I want to go back and change every like gamer tag and everything I have to eye of the webbish bog. <laughs> it sounds like something a, a kid would make up. You know what? I think I've been saying it wrong too. There's no the, it's just eye of webbish bog. Right. It's broken English. I am eye of webbish bog. Some call me <laughs> Tim. Uh, all right, let's get into some Peepaw Sheev stuff. In case you're wondering, I'm referring to the greatest Sith Lord of all time. We talked about this a little bit before. Yeah, I think you actually read straight from the from this. You read from something talking about how it actually happened, how Palpatine, his spirit got into the clone body, because we know that Sith can't live they can't go on past their material bodies as Jedi can, as light side users can. So this is well planned by him. We referenced the book before, I think more talking about how he projected his spirit to Exegol when he was falling down the shaft. And this was a big thing for people watching the film. How did all this happen? How has Palpatine returned? And <laughs> I've already said it once in this episode, but Poe doesn't know. we don't know. That's, that's all the info you got. Dark science, you know, stuff only the Sith know. Thanks, Charlie. But in the book, at first, I think a big reveal is that Palpatine, he learned from the things that Plagueis taught him. He was prepared for the day that he was going to die. It's kind of the, the vibe that I get. He projected his soul into a clone body that was waiting for him on Exegol already. This was all prepared. And I think you also can take from this even all the way back to the Empire that these Sith Eternal, which I'll, I'll, there's stuff about that in here, too, that we'll get to. Our generations of these loyal Sith followers were being bred and raised in Exegol and the out, those outer territories, and that was a thing that was happening, so he was prepared for this. But the idea that a clone body can't handle holding that energy is what plays here, and that we see in the film Palpatine's clone body, I mean, it's, in the, it's like on the last hour He's got left, Mm -hmm. you know, he's been in that thing for a long time and it's not holding up and it's, it's attached to all the machines and everything. So the novel explicitly confirms Palpatine is inhabiting a clone body. When he first meets Kylo Ren, you know, he describes the body as imperfect in the book, which forces him to strap him to that exoskeleton. It talks about this in the book. It was previously used by an unnamed ancient Sith Lord um, and they rely on these regenerative chemicals which is based on Clone Wars tech, um, to stave off the body's inevitable decay. So it's all cloning technology. You know, it's all chemicals and cool stuff that they use in the cloning factories. And and then, and then there's a later passage, more details, how Palpatine cheated his death. I just kind of mentioned that he there were secrets he stole from Darth Plagueis to create the clone body, to project his soul. That's where it talks about in this later passage that he was able to tear his soul from his body before it was destroyed aboard the second Death Star and transferred into the clone But before the clone was finished, again, this was from IGN.com, where I found this article, which is awesome. Uh, We can put it in the show notes, which really spells a lot of this stuff out in a very kind of layman's terms way. The clone was unfinished. Palpatine has faced a ticking clock and finding a new one in a permanent vessel, which leads us into lots of other stuff like Ray's dad and all those things. So 
super cool. But, you know, by the time we see it in episode nine, this has just been going on for a long time and it's decaying and he's relying on these machines and chemicals. And that's why there's that urgency of finding Ray to take his place. And I think it was well retconned. That's the word, yeah. you know, to go back in and say, well, this is why and this is how. He's just like at that point melting. Yeah. <laughs> dripping like homeboy and jumper that's just like losing body parts just like falling apart he's like um the ghost of christmas present in scrooged (laughs) what he needed was some force healing which takes us to our next point yeah ray first uses this to heal that snake with a trillion eyes it's called a vexus snake on pasana underneath the sinking fields i thought this was pretty sweet and it definitely wasn't a new concept talking about well-planned stuff they dropped i guess the week before in the mandalorian the concept when the child heals chubbs peterson yep (laughs) when he's like he's gonna eat me and he heals his arm so they kind of built in precedent for this i don't know they did it because it's cool but i also assume that they anticipated people being like what do you mean she can just heal somebody so they built it into the story ahead of time, and I think that president's Yeah, great. and in the book, they go into detail about Ray's sort of analyzing this and how she realizes it's like a give and take, that she has to give some of herself mm-hmm. in order to heal something else. And the idea that that's kind of an example that makes her different from the traditional Jedi, and she's learning new skills, and she's learning— I always thought this, though, from my first inclination in The Force Awakens when I swear to you all, I was like, she's a Palpatine. I know it. That's where this is going. I always thought that that was going to bring unique and interesting Force abilities, that she was going to have this ultimate light and ultimate dark in her like maybe we've never seen before. Powerful light, powerful dark. Exactly. Unlike Anakin, who kind of turned to the dark, right? Like he learned it. She was born with it. But she was born good. But inside of her from the get-go was this dark, evil bloodline. Yeah. I love the next one. This would have been so cool to see in the film, too. I don't know how or where it would have worked in. But in the book, they lean in on Chewie and Ben Solo, like young kid Ben. like Uncle Chewie. Uh, un- Uncle Chewie. Uncle Dude, Chewie. when I read it or when I heard it read to me, I was like, oh, shit, no way. That's our shirt. That's our merch. Yeah coming it's our uncle chewy shirt and then it was just gonna be the shirt was gonna be you know like uncle rico in the van style but we now it has to be little ben has to be with him too, yeah like chilling in the van but so in in the book uh when chewy is taken captive uh in the old switcheroo <laughs> scene kylo is trying to jedi mind trick him to pull some information out of his brain And we've never seen Chewbacca in a situation like that. That would have been cool to see on film. But Kylo is, you will give it to me. Right. Right? That's what he's doing. So, and when he's looking inside of his head, he sees a bunch of stuff, but he starts to see these memories that Chewie has of Chewie and young Ben. And I'm getting like a little misty right now, just even thinking about what that looks like in your head, like... You've never slept as good when nestled in a in a Wookiee's lap, right. you know. Like I'm picturing little Ben just curled up in Chewie's lap, you know, on the Falcon, and all the feels I have. So that's one thing that leans into this Chewie Ben thing. And also, it should be noted that this happens very shortly before 
Kylo's battle with Rey on Kijimi. And I think there's something there to the idea of this being one of the things that's like pushing him along to turn back to the light. You know, having having this experience with Uncle Chewie right before he goes to his like arch nemesis, really, you know, the the, the, the light in the dyad, you know. And the, when they're kind of taunting each other and she's like, I see through the cracks in your mask. You're haunted. You can't stop seeing what you did to your father. Right. And he's just seen himself nestled up in a Wookiee's lap. But then this is really cool, too. In, in the book, there's actually a scene where Lando is getting on the Falcon before the battle in Exegol, you know, when they're going to go rally the troops, kind of. He's, he's Oh, I remember this, man. Stepping back into the to the mm-hmm. Falcon to be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to... And he's kind of, there's a nostalgic sort of like searching, looking around at everything, you know, which also probably would have been cool. Now that we've all seen Solo, that would have been cool to see on film. Hey, what's all this shit in my cape closet? 85-year-old Lando getting on the just completely disheveled Falcon, you know? Yeah. But he goes into Chewie's quarters... And he's looking around and he stumbles across an old hollow recording like Clark Griswold in the attic and Christmas vacation finds the <laughs> reels of home Christmas movies. Yeah. He finds a, a hollow recording of Chewie and little Ben. And I just, I, I want to see all that in real life. But yeah, man. I, I think it's such a testament to the character of Chewbacca. And I love that they went there in the book and Chewbacca cares, man, about all of those people and characters mm-hmm. and, and the people in his life. And the weight of the fact that he he left his home planet and he left his kind and his tribe or his whatever they are, you know. Who are all but extinct. Yeah. And he gave it all up because he like owed a debt to these people that saved his life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and he would protect Ben with his life kind of thing is just so rad. So look out for that Uncle Chewie shirt because this <laughs> really drove it home. Yeah, dude. And if you're listening to the audiobook, look out for that moment. It crushed me, dude. It was like so beautiful and so emotionally soul crushing at the same time. It's huge. Speaking of me crying about Star Wars. <laughs> Here we go. Luke's communication with Leia. They speak to each other quite a bit in the book. All kinds of stuff that obviously wasn't possible since Carrie Fisher was gone before this even started production. They rewrote the whole thing. But we we do get a lot in the book. And Luke, knowing that Leia's life is coming to an end and Leia kind of really trying to hold on and be there as long as she can for everyone, for the resistance, for her son, for this new family and everything. She's apparently like holding on a little too hard. And Luke sort of tells her to let go. Like, it's the only way. Like, you can't be there and hold their hand forever. And the vibe I got was... Kind of like what Obi-Wan said to Vader in A New Hope, letting her know essentially that she will be more powerful than anyone could possibly imagine once she lets go and becomes one with the Force. And you know, I mean, this was something that was detrimental, I think, to her sometimes was how hard she holds on. Yeah. I mean, think about that scene in Empire when Han's trying to get her to bail mm-hmm. and she just can't let go. She can't leave. She she can't go without knowing everyone is safe and those transports are away. Yeah. And that's one little snippet. But I think throughout the time we've known her as a character, that's one of the things that is both a strength and a weakness for her is her inability to look out for herself or do what's best, even though that may mean leaving people behind. Mother to the resistance and the rebellion. The book also reveals that it isn't just Luke who contacts Leia from beyond the grave. Prior to episode nine, she has actually communicated with Obi-Wan and Yoda. And that probably explains 
how she was able to be a force ghost at the end of the movie. So she's learned just like Yoda learned from Qui-Gon in the Clone Wars. So this is like, this is my shit. <laughs> I yeah. love this so much. Yeah, it's very cool. And it's like she completed her training yeah. from beyond. Moving to the dark side. Yes. This is pretty cool, this clarification here about the Sith Eternal and the Final Order. I agree. I think a lot of people had questions about where did all these people come from? What is Are this? they people? Are they ghosts? Yeah, we're just on Exegol, and what is this? And um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the novel definitely does go into more detail about all of this, and it does confirm that the Sith Eternal, and when we say Sith Eternal, we're talking about the gladiator-style stadium full of, of people. Everyone in their funeral outfits. Uh, right, yeah, with their hoods up. It's so sick. I, uh, th- this was one of the things that was kind of, I think, a gripe for a lot of people that I was not bothered by. I remember seeing it in the theater for the first time and be like oh yeah this is my shit this yeah. is so sick um but it, it it confirms that they are in fact living beings and they're they're just devoted followers of the sith religion if you want to call it that the sith rule under palpatine so same as as the final order most of the members of this cult or this the sith eternal as they call it they've been raised this way they've been cultivated they've been found they've maybe been taken from their families but palps has been building this thing for a long long time and i think it's up for debate if it even he was already doing all of this prior to his death in jedi you know if once he became the emperor if he just had his hands in every all over the galaxy sort of finding these people and that would fit his mo yeah cultivating the the sith mythology and and brainwashing legions of of young people and families and you know offering them (laughs) unlimited power you know come hang out hang with us and 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 anything is possible you know it's pretty classic propaganda actually Get in the Sith van. Yeah. We have dark candy in here. So these people were, were born and raised on Exegol or the surrounding area of the Unknown Regions near Exegol. And they've been preparing for this for a long, long time to serve Palpatine. In the book, it talks about how Palpatine pulled from the ranks of the First Order with many of like the most badass kids, the, like the ultimate brainwashed Palpatine youth program kids. They're like handpicked to become final order Sith troopers. I'd like to see more of that, Yeah, but I guess it's over. So I can't, who knows? We'll see maybe the remnants of them later on. Maybe they'll show up in some cartoons. It'll be cool. Sticking with Palpy. Peepaw Sheeve. We've talked about this a bit as well, but we know that Ray's father, while not technically Palpatine's son was sort of a special being, but nonetheless a clone. A clone of Palpatine that was meant to be a more permanent replacement body for Palpatine. Yeah, like he was he was gonna jump out of the old melty one right. <laughs> into the new young one. And it turned out that he was zero on the force scale. No force abilities whatsoever. So he rejected this quote son and eventually had Ochi of Bastoon. He was a Jedi hunter. Right. So the the dude whose ship they found on Pasana sent that dude to kill this insufficient offspring. And as we kind of saw in the the flashback, shit just went down and it was super dark. But once he realized that his granddaughter had enormous force potential, he turned to Rey as the the kind of main candidate trying to turn her to the dark side. And that that was his ultimate goal. And he did send Ochi out to kill the parents and take the daughter. That was the idea. Yeah. He knew the daughter was there and she popped up on his radar. 
right? I mean, on, yeah, on the Force radar. We yeah. would assume that once she was born, he he knew. I mean, the Force Awakens, as they titled it, you right. know, he knew that she was out there, and that was the mission. Right. This one's a dud, but his kid will do. So I've always gotten the vibe that you, there is sort of this Force radar we can connect over, right? So you're in St. Louis, I'm in Jacksonville, but if we had Luke and Leia powers, we could I could tell you good night before I <laughs> snuggle into bed this evening, you know, but. I wouldn't know exactly where you are. You know, when Lando pilots the Falcon back that way, I mean, for the sake of film, they're just going in the right direction and there's Luke. Right. Leia's not like, um, with her eyes closed, left, right, nope, a little right, nope. So the idea that he, his granddaughter sort of popped up on his radar, but there's no way for him to pinpoint where in the galaxy she is. You know, the same way Luke on Octo, they couldn't find him without that map. Right. And so I think that's pretty well covered if you really go back and look at, especially with Luke and Octo. As far as explaining how you can know someone is there with your force ability, but not know exactly where they are. Especially on the scale of the galaxy. Exactly. And he's out in Exegol, which is like off the grid. I mean, even farther away if whatever your power is. I mean, so I I think that's why obviously the mission for Ochi was you got to go find her and bring her to me. Bring her to me. I'm going to do the next one because it's got Snap Wexley in it and I rode in a van with Snap Wexley once. Great name. This one's really cool. So in the book, we learn Snap Wexley, played by Greg Grunberg, who is J.J. Abrams' bud that's been in lots of J.J. Abrams' stuff. Close friend of Ryan's from way back. Close bud. Going to be on the podcast any day now. Any day now. Looking forward to having you, Greg. But he is Wedge Antilly's nephew. I love that. That's explained in the book. Which leads to this extra, I found this in the IGN article, and they say it better than I could, an added dose of tragedy when Snap dies and Wedge survives. Yeah, brutal. And the final battle. And I just think that's a cool little connection with new and old. And and there's one little extra thing in that battle as far as the tragedy goes, not connected to Wedge and Poe and Snap. Lando's old co-pilot and I numb the dude from, from Jedi. With the kind of like gill face. Yeah, it's flying the final mission with him, yeah. He perishes along with the rest of the crew of the Tantive Four in Episode Nine, which is dark and sad. Rest in peace, Tantive Four as well. That ship had a good run. Yeah, it did. That's fitting, though. That started and ended these 42 years. God, we're not young. We're not. Next one. This is something that I think more people than not got the vibe, but it's fully confirmed in the novelization. Finn being Force-sensitive, and the thing that he was trying to tell Ray is just that. He feels the Force. It's what started his whole journey it's what he shares with Jana when they're waiting on that Endor adjacent moon where the deuce is. It is pretty evident, but also not based on the broad strokes of what we all know Star Wars to be, like Jedi and Sith, and that's it. I think we're now in a much cooler new era, new kind of paradigm where there's this whole spectrum of force sensitivity where you might not be a Jedi necessarily. I feel like dudes like Han Solo... Poe Dameron are force sensitive to some degree. You know what I mean? Like, dude, they got a little quicker reflexes. They're a little smarter. They're a little more connected. They haven't focused it and studied it. Dude, cheer it from Rogue One. Yeah. I'm one with the force and the force is with me. It's on the spectrum. It's definitely a very cool concept that could go forward in Star Wars as the universe continues to expand that you don't have to be a full-blown Jedi mm-hmm. to be force sensitive. And there are some moments, there are a couple that we actually see on film that aren't so blatant, but they're better explained in the novelization and then straight up just said he speaks to her through the force 
He feels her through the force. He's been wanting to tell her that he has these connections, but he doesn't. It says, quote, the moment Ray came back to herself, Finn knew. He launched himself out of the turret seat. No one was pursuing them anyway. Climbed the ladder and sprinted for the cockpit. Chewie, I felt her. It's pretty cool that he goes to Chewie to tell him. But it's all—it's cool that it happened in the cockpit, too, because yeah, that's where yeah. Leia was like, Luke, in Empire. Here's one that is so dope because it ties in some stuff from Rebels. Supposedly, there was a lot more from Rebels and kind of Clone Wars overlap. There apparently was a lot of inspiration on J.J. Abrams' end from the Mortis arc. This is kind of evident here a little bit, but this is really cool. So the world between worlds. In Rebels, the world between worlds is kind of a time portal. Imagine it's in space and it's like this 2D, almost like Tron-esque kind of like series of catwalks. It's almost like white LEDs in space that are these catwalks that take you between fully like different places, times. It's stuff that I feel like is rooted in actual physics. It's like the singularity in Interstellar. Yeah, it's like that. there's this crazy time dilation. There's this awesome moment, or a couple awesome moments in Rebels where Ezra Bridger, huge spoilers, rescues Ahsoka from Darth Vader. Then there's a great thing uh, with Palpatine, some more crazy, like, it's not quite time travel, but there's, there's some time travel-esque stuff. It's pretty dope. And um, in the visual dictionary, it was made clear that the world between worlds could have been the way that Rey contacted all the spirits of the Jedi in the past for that finale when she became all the Jedi to defeat Palpatine. Quote, it was like she was staring through a window to somewhere else, a place between places. That's that place. World between worlds, place between places. That's definitely intentional. For sure. Super cool. I kind of feel like you should close with the last two too, because this is your, it's your matriarch. You do one and I'll, and I'll close it. Okay. This one's quick. Leia's training, Leia's Jedi training in the film, I, I think was enough. You know, I was satisfied with that when watching the flashback going, oh, sweet, this happened, you know, and this especially given what they had to work with. Yeah. And, and just knowing that it was something that happened and, and I, I, it made sense and, and it tracked for me that there was a time where Luke was training Leia. But in the novel, they reference a time where Leia remembers an incident that she managed to hover in midair. She's training and she herself, her body could fly. I mean, I think there's a little bit of the Mary Poppins thing going on, yeah. connecting those things, just her flying in general. But if you think about that, it sort of insinuates that she was even more powerful than Luke because yep. that's a Jedi power that you have not seen. Like you've seen them jump and flip and cover long distances, but to just be standing in front of you and be like, yo, watch this. I'm going to David Copperfield you right now right. and float. You know, that's David Blaine street magic. Yeah. That's a new one. So, but it is pretty sick how we open the movie with Ray doing just that. She's just hovering. Exactly. Well, there you go. Like the idea that Leia has trained her how to do it because she, yeah. in the book, she has a, she has a memory of training where she's able to levitate. And so she trains. And she doesn't realize it until it's happening. Like, oh shit, I'm floating. Right. And so she obviously probably mastered that craft and then taught it to Ray. That's such a cooler thing. And just like a unique to her kind of thing rather than her. You know, the easy go-to thing in any, like, dude who looks like the Simpsons comic book store owner brain in the 90s going like, oh, I bet she was really great with a lightsaber, you know? (laughs) No, it's a different vibe with her. Yeah. Yeah, it's very focused. It's a very focused vibe. Closing this out with Leia, 
there's a there's a little bit about her kind of reflecting on what she's leaving, her legacy, what she's passing on as she kind of readies herself to become one with the Force. And the fact that she's passing each of her family names on to a different heir. Interesting that she has three surnames. I never really considered that, but she does. It's so cool. Yeah. Leia Skywalker Organa Solo. The first one being Skywalker, she passes that to Rey and a whole new generation of Jedi, which the title indicates. Anyone who thinks that these stories are done, that this is it, is on drugs. This is <laughs> such a setup for another 20 years of stories, whether or not Daisy Ridley and these few people are in it. I still say they didn't light up that yellow lightsaber for nothing, man. Real talk, man. And, and Daisy Ridley has not been one of those actors that's come out and said, I'm done. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. As She's far as I it. know, I haven't read anything that she said anything like that. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like John Boyega and... Oscar Isaac have both said something along the lines of like, that's it, run its course, we're done. And Adam Driver. Definitely Adam Driver. Yeah. He, he walks out of interviews if you'd ask him about Star Peace. Wars. <laughs> but I don't think that Daisy Ridley said anything about that. So I don't want to get too speculative, but I'm going to get too speculative. Just dream. A boy can dream. Mm-hmm. Let's let the Ryan Johnson trilogy star Daisy Ridley, you know, and carry yeah. on. Man. And she she seems the most emotionally connected to it. That clip of her laying in bed watching the clip where she's just bawling and talking about how amazing and beautiful it is. Yeah. I love that. She's a legend. So that's the first of Leia's three family names that she passes on. The second, the Organa name, she passes on essentially to Poe as the new leader, the reluctant leader of the resistance and the new, whatever it's going to be, the new republic to come. Poe is kind of her sort of adopted son-ish in a way. And I think that's really, really cool. And I love that they had such a a mother-son, skew mom kind of vibe, especially (laughs) in in The Last Jedi. Yep. So it's great that it came around. He was definitely like her student. And, you know, even even his interaction with Holdo was like, it was still Leia teaching him in a way. Right. Leia would have appointed her to take charge of the bridge if she had been able to, you know, that's, that would have been her choice. Yeah. So every, everything that he was learning in some way, even if it wasn't directly from Leia was influenced by Leia. And finally her son, Ben turning back to the light, essentially reclaims or is able to reclaim the solo name, even if it dies with him. Nonetheless, he came back as Ben Solo before he bit the dust. And now we know that's it. He's the last solo. Yeah. There was no solo. That Brando Imperial clerk <laughs> gave him that name and that's it. There's yeah. no lineage. It's a short lineage. Yep. But you gotta do again, we're not we're not here to hypothesize and talk about fan theories and shit, but there's no way he's gone either. I almost think they decided not to put him in his a force ghost as much as a story decision. And a long-term character decision as anything, not just, hey, these two are more, more important. It was probably half that and half Ben's not ready yet. We're going to see that later in the future mm-hmm. in these inevitable sequels. It's going to be awesome, I think. Well, they're going to have a heck of a time getting Adam Driver to put those shoes back on, but we'll see. just takes time. Harrison Ford came back. Money talks. Yeah. And you know who has money? Star Wars. Disney's got some bucks. They That's found real it. Talk. They found it all. They know yeah. where it is. They know where it grows. <laughs> <laughs> they got a whole orchard of money trees in Orange they sure County. They sure do. They sure do. So yeah, I think you know that's um, 
no one's saying don't read the book. I, I, at some point, hope to finish it. I do go back to saying that doing this podcast and putting as much as I can into that and recording music full time and doing every, it's putting a book about a movie that I've already seen high on my list of priorities is a challenge. But I think digging into this stuff, whether you read the whole book or just do the research on your own, because that's the glory of the internet these days, you can find this stuff um, because you're curious about these, these plot holes, so to speak, I think is, is really cool that it's out there for us to know. And I think it's just, if you're not a hater, which we are not, I think it's just another great example of how they are doing the best they can to provide answers. You know, they're doing the best they can to keep everything linear and build this canon story. And I think that the novel did a great job of that. And it's a great listen as an audiobook as well. I agree. Yeah, the music and the sound effects and stuff, it's really mm-hmm. next level for as audiobooks go, at least the ones I've listened Voices. to. And we were talking about earlier, we both listened to it at at least a little bit faster speed. I listened at 1.2, Ryan listens at 1.5. It kind of screws with the music sometimes, but yeah. it is a good pace if you bump it up a little bit like that. It gets really hard to understand what the droids are saying, but, you know. <laughs> they talk so fast. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker1. My personals are all at Adam the Skull. My personals everywhere, I'm going to steal his thunder since he's not here, on the social meds is at William Ryan Key. Um, our buddy Nick, who was not able to be here this evening with us, is everywhere online at Nick Bayside. And I'm just going to give him a little love since he's not here. As I said at the beginning of the episode, the reason he was not here tonight is because he's working hard on his coffee company, which is Legal Speed Coffee. And you can follow them on Instagram at Legal Speed Coffee. Nick also has a killer fan account for Galaxy's Edge uh, at Disneyland at Disney World, which is online everywhere at Batu Crew. And you can follow them on Instagram. And it's a super fun follow just seeing that community of fans and and um, park goers that that share their experience through batu crew it's it's super cool so nick we missed you but he'll be back next week this is true also if you want to support the podcast you can of course go to patreon.com slash thank the maker pod and help us keep making this thing every little dollar counts help adam keep editing this thing help me pay for my carpal tunnel co-pays at the doctor's office and until next time may the force be with you